all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. In the Cullen Consortia are collecting data sets based on their own particular expertise. And they're coming to us. We are the, we are the data repository for all of those data sets. Uh, so we not only hold this data, but we're also tasked with trying to build algorithms and build a network that connects these different data sets together to help us learn, um, to gain new understanding. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 249 with Savi Glow. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn... Three main things, the Lime Mind Conference, its featured speakers, and how to access it through Facebook, how the Lyme disease research has changed over the last four years and how it continues to change, and how the Lime Mind Conference is including insights from the global Lyme community. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And... We'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You are now officially a Lime Ninja. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from Chicago, Illinois to Saskatoon, Canada. Thanks, Aurora. Tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Savi Glow. Savi Glow is the Director of Operations for the Institute for Next Generation Healthcare at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and the Director of Strategy and Operations for the Precision Health Enterprise. Prior to Mount Sinai, she managed clinical research operations for the Neurology Research Group at Stanford University. She joined Mount Sinai in January 2013, and her work at Mount Sinai has supported research in rare genetic disorders, lab and consumer device validation, skin disorders, Lyme disease, and precision wellness. Thanks, Roy. And today's interview is a little bit different from what we're normally doing. Normally, we're highlighting the three phases and the nine steps on your Lyme journey. And this kind of fits a little bit outside, maybe a little bit 
part of everyone. I don't know. It's hard to hard to tag it exactly. So we're we're not putting this as one of the nine steps. This particular episode. It's a lovely conversation. But what this is, that's what it isn't. What this is, is a lovely conversation from somebody who's in the Lyme community on the research side of things. So she's looking at Lyme disease from a completely different point of view. And it's interesting to hear Savi's excitement and optimism. It clearly comes through. She's not faking it. She really feels that things are moving forward in the research realm of things, on the scientific realm of things. And for that reason alone, you're going to want to listen to it. And then in addition, it goes over the Lyme Mind Conference, which is this Saturday. They're sold out. You can't get tickets Maybe if you showed up, you could elbow your way in the room or scalp a ticket. I don't know how that works. But what's exciting is it's going to be broadcast live on Facebook. So you just go to the Lime Mind Facebook page, just search them on Facebook, and you will see everything that's broadcast during the day. It starts about 9 a.m. on East Coast time. I just want to make you all aware of this great resource. It's like one of those webinars, except you don't have to sign up and get pelted with 100 messages about, please buy the recordings because it's all going to be free. All right. That sums up just about everything. Did I forget anything? I think you've got it. I think we've got it all. Here's our interview about the Lime Mine Conference with Savi Glow. Hello, Savi. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. I am so excited that Lime Mind is back on the schedule again and that you're putting on your fourth annual conference. It's one of my favorite events. Thank you. We are excited, too. I can't believe how quickly four years have flown by. Now, let's do a little retrospective here. So you put the first conference on four years ago. Where, what have you seen progress kind of in the Lyme world in general? And then where do you see it going in the next four years? Yeah. So four years ago, we were completely naive to the space. We are a bunch of data scientists at Mount Sinai, and we were newly awarded grantees to the Cohen Foundation uh, Research Consortium. And we hosted our first event so that we could learn about Lyme disease. And more specifically, we wanted to learn about our fellow consortium members, our fellow researchers that we were, that we were gearing up to start, to start researching with. And so our first event, we opened to the public and we didn't really do any type of advertising. We didn't do any publicity. And we had close to 200 people show up in the first year. And that that event completely opened our eyes. We, we knew that there was a ton of work to be done in the research space, but we learned so much more about what was happening on the patient level, what was happening on the advocacy level. And um, it, it got us really excited to be part of this universe. And so in the last four years, I've seen a tremendous amount of growth. And I, we, started, we started out by having conversations about how the advocacy space was really just, just getting off the ground. There were these new foundations like the Cohen Foundation that were 
awarding these research grants, but it was still very new and, dare I say, naive space. And in the last four years, a tremendous amount of work has been done. Health and Human Services has, have done a number of workshops with researchers, and they've written a, uh, a lot of new documentation with uh, recommendations for diagnosis and for treatment. They've written recommendations, which are now being implemented and talked about at the CDC. We have a member of the CDC joining us for this year's event, um, a really lovely person who's very progressive in the Lyme disease space and who is excited about making changes and improving, improving the world. Um, we, we know that in the year ahead, the NIH has a brand new funding model for awarding grants and tick-borne diseases. And all of this attention is, would not have been possible were it not for the people like Stephen Alex Cohen and Bay Area Lyme Foundation and so many others who kept the, who kept the researchers alive long enough to continue to advance biology and medical understanding. And where do you see this all heading? I now, think that we have a, 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 a murky crystal ball, but let's pretend it clears up for a little bit. <laughs> I think that I think that the disease space is being legitimized. I think the research space is being legitimized. Every year, I meet new and young researchers from um, interdisciplinary fields who are getting involved in tick-borne diseases. I, I meet new and young clinicians and physicians who are getting into this treatment space. I'm seeing, I'm seeing um, clinics all over the country and even all over the world who are starting to integrate in functional and integrative medicine techniques to, to combating this complex uh, infection. So I think that this momentum is going to continue and the next four years are going to show an even larger push. I, I hope that the, the funding space continues to grow and federal awards um, continue to be, to be given. Um, I think it's very exciting, the work that's being done by leg the legislators around the PIC Act. And I think that hopefully we will begin to have some real concrete answers and steps forward for treating treating patients not just in the acute stage of this disease but in the in the chronic um, post-treatment phase as well before we move on to talk about the conference itself you bring up a very interesting point and that you said to legitimize i think was the word you used i'm just going to kind of cross this over and talk about legitimacy but if you're a young PhD trying to figure out, a postdoc trying to figure out where you're going to put your life work into, your advisors are going to tell you, you know, that you, you really don't want to research X disease because there's no, there's no, fun, it's very difficult. There's no funding. There's a really difficult future in there. You should instead consider something like this. So when you're talking about legitimacy, that opens the door for researchers to build a career around, but also to do the work that needs to be done. Is, is that, that's what you're talking about, yeah? Yes, yes, that's definitely what I'm talking about. That's certainly what I'm talking about in the academic research space. 
Um, I think that that also applies to young physicians who are building their, their clinical practice. If, if the, if their attendings and their mentors are um, suggesting that maybe Lyme disease isn't real. And we've all, we've heard this from, you know, number of different people in Western, in, in some of the more established medical environments that, that the, the question of, of Lyme disease being a real, a real disease is, is, you know, frustrating to us all. But, um, the, the work that's happening in advocacy, the work that's happening in, in Congress, the work that's happening in, on the research side with large academic medical institutions like Stanford, like Johns Hopkins, are, are bringing this to the forefront. And you, you don't get to just brush this off the cuff and say, oh, it's not real, or, oh, it's, it's probably something else, or there's, there's enough evidence now and there's enough direction and momentum that, that will advance not just the researchers, who, who want to build a career in this, not just the physicians who want to build a career in this, um, but an entire, galvanize an entire community. Now, you're part of a team at Lime Mind, and it says on the website here that your purpose is to build a multi-scale integrated network of Lyme disease that represents a unified predictive model of Lyme. Can you translate that for me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can. Yes, there's okay. a lot of buzzwords on that. And I apologize to the entire community of people who've had to read that. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. You sit, you sit, yeah. I, know, I know how those things work. I've been in on these, right? You sit in a room for half a day or a day, or, and you pass these emails around afterwards, and you guys know exactly what that means because you've been working in the space and you've been working with each other. So it speaks to you. It just it sounds like it's really cool, but what you know what is a multi-scale integrated network? Sure. So multi-scale, <laughs> yeah, multi-scale refers to to a a spectrum from the biology, the, the microbe side all the way through to the phenome side, the, the manifestation side in a like established human. So uh, we're talking we're talking about genetics, we're talking about microbiome, we're talking about the um, the genome of the bug, we're talking about the host, the patient, we're talking about clinical uh, response that's measured through immune um, immune factors and uh, we're talking about the um, the downstream effects that are also uh, measured in you know clinical care outcomes and and other um, and other uh, qualitative measures. So it's it's really like the full spectrum of of the disease. So it's multi-scale. So it's at multiple levels. The integrated is taking all of those different pieces, and right now all of those different pieces come to us from the various members of the Cohen Consortia. So each researcher and each cl clinician in the Cohen Consortia are collecting data sets based on their own particular expertise. And they're coming to us. We are the, we are the data repository for all of those data sets. Uh, so we not only hold this data, but we're also tasked with 
trying to build algorithms and build a network that connects these different data sets together to help us learn um, to gain new understandings. Did, I, did that clear it up? Yeah, I think you did. That's, so it's a wonderful okay. project of pulling together because things get siloed in, in any, because, because it's just so difficult to talk across the silo sometimes because you've got different languages, different way of understanding things, and, and maybe even directly opposing ideas on how things work. But here you are kind of up in the cloud, so to speak, and pulling all this data together and attempt to, to create a model. And how, how is this project coming? Are things beginning to come out of this? So we're in our fourth year. The repository is being deployed in the next year. So we will have hopefully um, the collection of the Cohen, the Cohen data set and the the network will begin to to start to emerge. So we've been doing this um, on small scale with a number of different researchers. We've been working with Kim Lewis, who's one of the speakers at our event. Um, he's sent us samples to do microbiome processing. We have uh, samples and data sets from Johns Hopkins with Mark Soloki and John Alcott, where we've been doing more of the the sequencing side of, of the, the network building. So we have these various pieces that have been built, these components that have been built. So in the next year, what I hope is we'll be able to see the full fruition of, of this network. And that'll be for researchers and doctors to go into and and, and take a look at. I was going to say poke around. To take a look at. It's a little yeah. more formal than just playing around with. Yes, it is a little bit more formal, and we have to be more formal because these these are humans. <laughs> these each data set, each data point is representative of a human being, and we have to be protective of of that information and and um, protect the privacy of of those individuals. So uh, we do we do require that researchers who have access to the data have you know appropriate approvals, and that we've we've done everything. Um, on the regulatory level that we need to do. But this will be a resource that people can apply to have access for. And what I hope we'll be able to start doing is finding ways to create um, to create smaller data sets or de-identified data sets that could be potentially used in, the more, in a more public space. I can't wait to see what comes out of that. It's a great project. Thank you. Now let's look at Saturday. So first of all, congratulations, you've sold out. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to get there you. early so I can find a good seat. And don't worry if you're listening to this, you can access this on Facebook, which is so cool. What, what, caused you to say, you know what, we need to get this out in front of more people? We, we've we known for a long time that in the Lyme community, particularly with patients, that it's on a day-to-day -day level, on a day-to-day -day basis, you can't always predict how you're going to be feeling. And so while we've had very good registration numbers in the past, we've received messages over the years from people saying, I had totally intended to come, but I was feeling awful that day and I couldn't get out of bed. And that that made us sad. And there's technology gives us so many different ways that we can connect with people 
and and bring them into bring them into the space without them having to leave their home. So we wanted to make sure that we we gave everybody the opportunity to be able to do this. And you know, a side effect is that this can be a a national conversation now. You don't just have to be in New York City or you know on the on the northeastern seaboard to to be able to come. You can access this in California or in Ireland or wherever you happen to be. Now, how do you find it on Facebook? Because to be honest with you, I've never streamed anything on Facebook. I've been on a zillion webinars, but never on Facebook. So we, you can find us on Facebook at Line Mind, and it'll be on our it'll be on our homepage. So do a search in your search bar for Line Mind, and you'll find our page, and you'll be able to you'll be able to watch the event. And it begins roughly nine a.m. Nine a.m. Yeah, yeah, with Doctor Specter. I've interviewed Doctor Specter. I like him very much. Isn't and he lovely? He, he really is. And he really is. What is he going to be talking about? So he's going to be starting off our day. The last couple of years, we've started the conference with a a broad overview, kind of like a lecture on what's happening in the field as it stands today. Uh, we call these lectures state-of-the-art. And so Dr. Spector is going to be giving our state-of-the-art address, talking about what is going on in Lyme disease treatment and what's going on in treatment discovery. So Dr. Spector is a physician who specializes in molecular discovery for, for, um, for new treatments. He was an oncologist for many, many years, and he he used to do research on a number of different drugs, uh, namely in breast cancer. He switched his talents and um, his his professional focus over to Lyme disease, and so he's going to be talking um, a bit about what he's doing in his lab, but also what's happening around the country. Um, and then that conversation is going to lead into a, a Q&A with um, our director here at Mount Sinai, Joel Dudley, who is a world-famous biomedical informaticist who uses computational methods for, for drug discovery. And so the two of them are going to have a conversation about how you go from this traditional bench work, we call bench, you know, like what the, the biology, the science, the test tubes, pipettes, how you go from, from that into the clinical care setting. How how do we take these treatments and start to improve patients' lives? So I'm really excited about, about that session. And then who else is on the agenda? We have Dr. Horowitz speaking at 1010. Uh, he's going to be doing a, uh, a very short discussion on some of the, the work he's doing with Dapsone. Um, hang on, hang on. Dr. Horowitz yeah. in short? He's just so passionate. I've, you know, we've all, we've all heard him speak before, and I just can't imagine him just, just quietly walking off stage after his short time <laughs> stuff. Anyway, that's gonna be. That's, I'm, I'm excited to see how you do that. <laughs> me too. I am excited too. Well, I think it's gonna be just fine. He's so he's been such a tremendous support to us over yeah, the years. He's awesome, and um, he just he's so generous with his time and. Um, we're just we're just so happy to have him back. Um, yeah. 
So it's incredible resource. We're lucky to have them here in New York. Yes, we are. Um, so Dr. Horowitz will be speaking. Dr. Uh, will be talking about disulfiram. Um, Dr. Hirsch uh, will be talking about some of the work that she's doing at Geisinger. And then um, our morning highlight speaker is Dr. Crystal Barnwell, who I am I'm so thrilled that she's able to join us. She is a physician in Georgia who runs a mo she runs a mobile clinic, and all of her outreach and all of her all of her patients are in very rural and very um, disenfranchised parts of of the state of Georgia. And she is one of the most passionate and compassionate people I've ever met in my life. And she's going to be talking to us about her practice and specifically about how Lyme exists in the South, but through a number of different decisions, the South uh, is not considered an endemic area for Lyme disease. Right. And so she's going to be talking a bit about this and about the controversy around this and um, and how her work is, um, she's working to, to combat some of this. Yeah, can't wait to hear that. Uh, it's the first time I've yeah. heard Dr. Barnwell. It sounds like exciting, exciting. Yeah, she's, she, she's part of the leadership at ILADS, and she's uh -huh. also working on the um, documentation for treating pregnant women. Hmm. which I think is just absolutely tremendous. And she'll be also, she'll be part of our special topics panel, which is going to be happening in one of the breakout sessions. We have an hour dedicated to talking about um, treatment and care models for pregnant women, mothers, and children, which is something that's very, very new to, to the scientific and medical discussion. Oftentimes we, we kind of skip over, the, the issues that are specific to pregnant women and the children just because they're tremendously hard to study. Um, it's hard to it's hard to work with those populations because there's so many um, issues around uh, sensitivity and um, and making sure uh, safety. I just got finished interviewing two moms and one of them, one of the things you get into when the mother has Lyme as well is always in the back of the mind is like, did I give it to my children? Mm -hmm. Was this transmitted uh, through the breast milk or through the placenta? You know, how, is that possible or is this a separate infection? And just the doubt and like you said, the difficulty in dealing with children because their ability or lack of ability to to talk about what's going on and really to communicate. Uh, it's, it's really tough. And to finally sort through all the different things it can be to get to a diagnosis of an infection uh, is brutal. And, and it, it's, great that you, it's great that you're doing that. It's one of those areas where this, a subgroup, subpopulation of people in and with the Lyme and, and around Lyme disease that definitely needs all the help they can get. So thank you for doing that. No, it's my pleasure, and we're so excited. Um, Phyllis Bedford, who is the founder of the uh, Limelight Foundation out in the Bay Area in California, she has spent a career doing treatment grants, getting treatment grants to, for children um, with, who have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Uh, she's going to be moderating that panel. Dr. Barnwell is going to be on that panel. Sue Faber, 
who uh, has spent a lot of her career doing work in congenital lines. So that seems that exact question that you just that you just brought up. She's also going to be on the panel, as is Saruchi Chandra, who was at our conference last year as our keynote speaker. She'll be speaking on that panel as well, talking about her work in in um, treating treating mothers and treating children. So I have a technical question for you because I'm looking at the schedule here, and I see three different uh, workshops, breakout sessions at the same time. How are you going to do that on Facebook? You can choose. Are they all going to be there? No, no. Unfortunately, the only the only thing that's going to be on Facebook is the main stage. The main so stage. the breakout sessions aren't going to make it to Facebook, but we are recording them. They, oh, they are awesome. still being recorded, and they're going to wind up on our on our YouTube page after after the event. Hmm. I'm going to so if you put you on the spot, so maybe maybe we can. Maybe I can, if, if I can twist your arm and include these as some of my podcast episodes, that would be awesome. Can we perhaps at least talk about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't own this information. It'd be wonderful. Of course. Well, well, <laughs> you never, you never know. That's true. Yeah, but something That's that would true. be awesome because there are other podcasts I've done where essentially they'll do a few weeks of just, uh, presentations that are done on a particular conference and it's it's just an awesome an awesome way to present the information to have it out there on just another channel so let's let's figure that out absolutely okay sorry to put you on the spot but not i don't feel on the spot at all okay awesome <laughs> here to help <laughs> yeah that's great okay so we, I mean, that's I mean, we really got deep into that. That's such a passionate, heartfelt area that that Lyme disease affects and just puts so much stress and strain on families. And let's pull it back to some of the other more technical things. I mean, there's there's a lecture called pathogen switching. Can you what is pathogen switching? You know. Kim, so Dr. Kim Lewis, who's one of the premier researchers in Lyme disease and um, one of the senior researchers in the Cohen Consortia, he requested this time and he didn't send me an abstract. He basically said, I have new data that I would like to, to present. And um, so so we get to we get to find out from Dr. Lewis what's happening. I do know um Unfortunately, for your listeners out there, this is one of the one of the talks that we are not going to be recording because he's going to be presenting data that has not been published yet. Uh, so this is this is going to be an exciting one for those in the room. Um, and and I, I'm I'm very I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. He's been doing some amazing work in microbi my, microbiology and working on the pathogen the pathogen side of Lyme disease. So specifically with the bugs, which is yeah. great. I'm sure we all, all got ideas in the back of our head what it could be, but I'm, I'm just on the edge of my seat literally right now, just wondering yeah. what that's going to be. Okay. I'm not going to miss that one. I'm yeah. not going to miss that one. And then yeah. Dr. Rajadas, Rajadas. Rajadas. Yes. From Stanford and Dr. Robinson also from Stanford. So Dr. Rajadas is, one of the, the first researchers and physicians to use disulfiram in practice. 
Okay. So he's he's going to be talking about um, his his work there, and Dr. Robinson is a premier immunologist, and he's I saw this talk actually in California a couple of months ago. Uh, he's going to be talking about B cell response in um, in the immune system as to predict whether or not a patient's going to have a rapid a rapid response in mm-hmm. like to the acute infection or if they're going to turn into um, post treatment chronic Lyme disease. Yeah. So um, his work is is very incredible. I, I can't wait to hear that one either. One of my uh, curiosities in Lyme disease is the particularly with multiple infections is how the body needs different responses and normally if you just have a single infection you can kind of the immune response can be tilted in one direction and be effective in wiping that out but with Lyme disease the multiple infections it tilts one way opens the back door for another infection to really Mm -hmm. take hold so the whole th1 th2 and the b cells and all that stuff i can't wait to hear about that yeah, Dr. Horowitz talks about that a lot. He he talks about the the multi infections of uh, being causal for um, for the the rapid the rapid response to treatment or not. So um, your your personal theories are are founded uh, by a number of different physicians. So <laughs> you're not alone. Good good to know. I have I have been reading yeah. original research, so it's not they're not my ideas. And just you get little wisps of them in in the corners uh it just have yeah. like you said gathered and that's what you guys are doing is gathering all this this data and hopefully we'll pull together these research streams and make some sense yeah. of it there there yeah. was some early research i think i don't know if this woman retired she was a phd doing some great research with the th1 th2 balance with lyme disease and and in the different stages of the infection early infection and then she just goes off the map it's like she stops it's like she disappeared and i've been meaning Hmm. to track her down and send an email and said say are you are you going to start this back up again or did you you know just put it all away and you're not teaching yoga on a mountaintop somewhere it's like what what happened (laughs) but it's it's well, that sounds the, nice too. It, <laughs> <laughs> says the uh, the the computer genius who's working in New York City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the grass is always greener, you know. Yeah. Well, it is. As I'm looking out my mm-hmm. window at our farm here in upstate. <laughs> okay, so moving right along, functional medicine. So this is near and dear to my heart. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You've got this high, you know. You've got these super high tech uh, using high powered antibiotics, and then all of a sudden we're into functional medicine. So, why mm-hmm. did you choose to bring that into the conference? Well, I think that no matter who you're talking to in a line space, if you're talking to a, a, a standard infectious disease doctor, or you're talking to a patient, you're talking to a geneticist. Everyone will say that this disease is extraordinarily complicated, and it, and it affects many, many different symptoms uh, systems. So, uh, when I was at the Stanford conference a couple of months ago, there was a rheumatologist on the stage talking about how he knows that there are cardiac symptoms, he knows that there are neurologic symptoms, but he's a rheumatologist, and so the only thing that he's going to focus on is the rheumatology. Like, okay, right. so um, I think that 
the biggest the biggest problem in treating in treating the complexity of Lyme disease is just that medicine today isn't built for it. And this is where functional medicine and integrative medicine really really belongs. That they have a practice and they have a methodology and a, a system for for treating the the entirety of the person. And this is this is especially important in Lyme disease because. There's, there are the issues with nutrition. There are the issues with sleep and um, the psychology of having a chronic, a chronic illness. In addition, compounded by the the clinical manifestations of Lyme disease that affect that affect so many of these systems. So, um, to me, it doesn't feel strange to have functional medicine highlighted at this event. Yeah, thank you for bringing that in. It's such an important piece of it. And again, we talked about the silos earlier, kind of collapsing those or creating bridges across them is is critical. It's critical. And that's, I have to be honest with you, that's one of the, you know, you hear all the buzz about the, uh, the disulf, can you even pronounce it, disulfiram? Yeah. And, you know, it's, I've been around here long enough that we've seen several silver bullets arise and fall by the wayside again. And I hope it is, right? And believe me, mm-hmm. it'd be great to just end this whole conversation. Yep, we figured out, here's how you do it. And, you know, six months of this particular antibiotic and we're all good. That would be awesome. I just don't think it's going to be that easy. Like you said, for all these reasons, it just depends on how it manifests and what comes along with it. You know, it's, it's much more, you know, and I, I don't want to draw direct comparison, but it's much more like cancer. You know, for we thought, okay, we're going to get the genetics done with cancer. We've got all this new data. We're going to understand it. And now we just have more questions. You know, we, we mm-hmm. do better with some of the cancers now where the treatments are definitely farther along, but it's not like there's a cure out there. So this is, you know, th- like you said, this is one of those super complex, it's infections in general, you know, don't seem to be that difficult. And we'll say even something like Zika, you know, it's just a matter of tracking it down and the time and figuring out the the thing, but something like AIDS, something like Lyme disease there, you know, they present a whole new paradigm of understanding how the body works. And we're, we're just beginning to, to understand how things fall apart with these, with these, uh, whatever type of infections they are, chronic, multiple, strange, whatever the right word is. That's such a lovely transition that you just made because the next panel of the day is, um, this, this global connection, learning from other diseases. And I'm using global and not the, the worldly sense, but I'm using it in the, like the universal sense. Um, uh, we have a, a number of researchers joining us who specialize in other diseases, and they're going to be talking about how the the rise in AIDS, um, how that was addressed, and what we learned from an epidemiological stand, standpoint, and what we learned from a public health standpoint. Um, Dr. Alan Greenberg is he was with the CDC for 29 years during the during the start of the HIV outbreak. He's now the chair of uh, biostatistics at Georgetown. So he's going to be talking about his history there. We have uh, Dr. Giannis Ben Armour, who is a researcher in tuberculosis. And he's, this is a long, I mean, this is a very long public health disease, tuberculosis. And he's yeah. going to be talking about how this has been changing in the last, uh, in the last decade. 
And Dr. Sam Gandy, who's a researcher at Mount Sinai, he, he researches and works in Alzheimer's. And this is, well, right now we don't know if it's an infectious disease. There's a lot of, there's a lot of connections in we Alzheimer's. We have our opinions, yes. though, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, but these are all, these are all areas where, um, you know, there's many steps forward and a few steps back. And these are, these are some of the top researchers in those, in those areas that are going to be talking not directly about Lyme disease, but around Lyme disease. And hopefully giving us context from um, from the past, from the recent past that can help our, us as Lyme disease researchers think about our own future. So um, I'm very excited about, about that panel. And then we move on to another conference spotlight. I'm going to speak over, skip over the musical performance. So Jesse Rubin is going to be entertaining us with some, I'm sure we're all going to cry. <laughs> He's a lovely person, but yes, we can. Well, I'd like to come back to the artist in just a minute, but we can, we can definitely talk about. Go ahead, okay. Let's let's just go chronologically. Then I was just I didn't know if you had anything to say about Jesse. Well, Jesse, Jesse is just um, he's he's a great person and a lovely advocate, and the his his talent. He's used his talent and his voice um, in this in this space to to really to tell his story and to um, to help motivate others. He is one of several other artists that we have. He's, he's the only performance artist that we have, but we also have seven other artists in residence who are going to be having their, their physical art on display. So we have paintings, we have illustrations. We're, we're going to have a little art gallery um, on display during the event, which every, every person that is contributing is, a fellow patient and they've used they've used their voice in the form of art and their medium to express the the pain the frustration and the healing that they've that they've had um while while uh living through Lyme disease and i'm i'm really excited to have this part of part of the journey highlighted at our event because we spent the last year really trying to collect the stories of patients and collect the stories from the community. And this is, this is one of the, the beautiful ways that we as humans um, seek out to tell our stories and, and hopefully find healing. Do you know by any chance, is Michaela her one of your artists? Do you have an artist there? The reason I ask is I interviewed her about uh, six weeks ago, and she had this, we're kind of, you know, having a similar discussion about art and how it can express things that you just don't have words for. And Lyme disease is a perfect topic for that. And then she said, you know, it would just be awesome if I had a gallery where people with art from Lyme disease uh, could display, and here you are talking about it. So, if she's not there, I have to oh. tell her about this because she would love to hear about this. Oh, I'm very disappointed that she she is not here, um, okay. and I'm very sorry that we missed the we missed the opportunity on that one. I would love to connect with her and and find ways to to um, integrate her vision into into the work we do. So, um, if you wouldn't right. mind making an introduction, that would be lovely. Sure, I'll do that after the show. I'll send an email for both of you. That'd be awesome. Great. Okay. 
moving so back moving, to the left brain. Moving exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this conference really is a manifestation of the way my brain works. It's just back and forth between <laughs> between the different the different sides. That's um, awesome. Thanks. The uh, so the conference spotlight. This this is a very exciting panel. This is going to be a discussion that is moderated by John Alcott, who uh, is going to be joined by Susanna Beiser from the CDC, Sarah Castrina, um, who is, a, is uh, a staffer from Senator Susan Collins' office in Maine, and uh, Dr. Hay, uh, Holly Ahern. And the, this panel is going to be talking about the work that's being done today through the advancements of advocacy to change um, public outreach and policy decision making, and I think this is going to be an absolute. This is going to be a very powerful panel, and it's going to be it's going to be different than some of the conversations that we've seen in the past that involve that involve members of um, of public policy and members of the CDC, because we're really not looking to rehash old history. We know that things in the past didn't go. Didn't, weren't well managed. I'm going to say that politely and politically correct. <laughs> they weren't well managed, and there is still a lot of anger, um, and, and righteous anger. I, I think that there's reasonable anger that exists in in many corners of of um, the patient community around around some of the policy decisions that were made early on. But there's a new there's a new group, there's a new team at the Vanguard and who are who are starting to lead the cause. And these are people who are progressive, who see the hurt, who see the pain, and are working very closely with clinicians and scientists to improve to improve policy. And um, so I'm very excited for this conversation. That's so interesting. Uh, a friend of mine, I've met him a couple times at different conferences, and he wrote a book called The Healing Power of Gratitude. And he had Lyme terribly, I mean, just as bad as you can get it. And he was on the show, and he said, you know, I'm probably going to make some people angry. He said, but you can either be pissed off about the past, or you can heal. Your choice. And he just was silent. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, my God, Greg, what did you just say? But, <sighs> you know, it's it's... It it's true, especially when you're sick. You only have so much energy. Where where are you going to put that energy, on the hurt or healing? And there's a time for righteous indignation, and anger. Once you get healthy and you're kind of back on your feet again, you can use that as fuel to move things forward. And we see that all the time. I mean, from from my younger days, it was the mothers against drug driving. I mean. They, these mothers were fired up individuals, right? And they changed, they've changed everything, you know, in the, in the past, I won't say how many years, many years. And, uh, but it's like what you bring up is so important. We can, we can keep relitigating, rehashing all the mistakes made. And there are so many on mm -hmm. so many fronts that it's just, you, you need, it's easy. I, and this is, people get mad at me for saying this. It's easier to believe that there's a conspiracy and some evil hand guiding all this stuff, all these mistakes and all these, how these, it all comes together than believing that just so many mistakes were made over and over again. And I think it's just 
I really truly believe it was just uh, it's, it's a crossroads of unfortunate events, of mistakes, of blindness, you know, maybe some greed in there too, and things like that. But that, like you said, it's changed. And the, the legitimacy that Lyme disease has, I think you really helped me coalesce this because I've been wondering over the past year, you know, coming up on five years of doing my podcast, 250 episodes almost, I think you're 249. It's been, a, we've been doing this a while now. And so I kind of think is like, is there still, do I still need to do this podcast? Right. That, that crosses my mind from time to time. Mm-hmm. Do we still need to be doing this? What's left to be said? And you said that so beautifully is what's changed tremendously is, is the legitimacy. Now we're not a hundred percent there, but when I started, there was almost zero recognition from the medical community or the research community that any of this was legitimate beyond 14 days, 10 days of doxycycline, right? It was mm-hmm. a simple infection to treat. And now, you know, again, you've got the, you've got this fourth annual conference going on and the quality of the people and the number of people that are coming together here is really phenomenal. And it's not just the few, you know, Dr. Hartz has been at this forever, right? So there've always been voices in the wilderness like that, but it's, the voices are starting to gather, you know, people are starting to gather around him and, and other people who've been in the space for a very, very long time and doing the research and the legitimacy. That's such a great word. And I may start a hashtag, you know, legitimate or something like that, because it's, <laughs> it's really what's changed. You've, you really hit the nail on the head there. So thank you. It's, it's yeah. exciting. It is exciting and it's rewarding. And I love, I, I love what you're saying about Greg and, you know, the the healing, the healing power of gratitude. I believe that actually you missed it last year when I started, I started the conference. I led everyone in the gratitude practice, which is, I know, you know, uh, we talked about this last time you and I spoke, I have a background in meditation. And um, so it's, it's kind of funny to stand in front of a bunch of scientists and, and world leaders in in research and and medicine and and tell them to focus on their heart center but (laughs) (laughs) but we did and i it really it set such a wonderful tone finding gratitude for the work that we do finding gratitude for the world that we're in and i think that finding gratitude for the changes that have happened in the last five years is is wonderful and that that gratitude is what's going to keep us going Right. In some ways, it's like having a, a little toddler learning to walk and you can either berate them for every time they fall or cheer them for each little step. And I, mm-hmm. like you, choose to cheer the steps rather than say, no, they fell again. Yeah. And so here's a funny story. My my acupuncture teachers were uh, had pretty good connections with Hopkins, the medical school. And they when they did some of their uh like grand rounds and things for that. They had them sing row, row, row your boat in rounds <laughs> <laughs> to bring to, to just to kind of wake them up and bring them together and say, okay, this is not your normal, you know, it, it, nowadays would be put your phones away and your laptops away. But at the time it was just to kind of wake them out of their uh, ordinary way of listening. So it's, I love that you started with the meditation it speaks to me. 
things. I like that. Maybe I'll make everyone sing at this year's event. <laughs> S- sing, listen, singing is magical. And we don't, the only place we used to sing recently was in church. And now people don't go to church anymore. So where do we sing together? We don't. And singing mm-hmm. is powerful limbic brain. There's something there that connects us, the m- mirror neurons or whatever it is. And we all know row, row your boat. And singing in a round is really, it's impactful. You'd be surprised. Try it at your next meeting. <laughs> you need enough people, but you'll be surprised. All right. I'll let you we'll know st- how it goes. Yeah, we'll start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a phone call. McKay? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but the meeting was a disaster. No, it's going to be, that was the best meeting ever. Can't believe it. Something so simple. Okay, so let's. The final international panel, Lyme disease impacts on global health. Yes. So this is the the last part of our day. Uh, we'll be focused on, on the global impacts of Lyme disease. And we know that Lyme disease is not just centered in northeast, the, the northeastern seaboard of the United States. And it's, it's not just in the United States for that matter. It's been part of this world for a very long time, and in Europe, the, a lot of the same, a lot of the same problems and a lot of the same issues around advocacy are um, are at the forefront. And there's been some controversies: doctors losing medical licenses um, by doing longer-term treatment of antibiotics. Yeah. There have been stories of of patients. Um, you know, being unable to receive treatment and suffering over long periods of time. So um, Dr. Tim Pilati, who is the Chief Scientific Officer at the Global Lyme Alliance, is going to be leading a panel that includes um, two investigators who have been working to set up a coalition for clinical research in Europe. And so they're going to be talking about, about the efforts there. And we also have a few video interviews, just like little snippets, from um, Dr. Dr. Perrone, who is uh, in Paris, and he's been heading up the, the work at the EU, trying to trying to raise awareness for um, for this fight. And uh, Dr. Lambert, who's from Ireland and has been treating patients for a number of decades, and he'll be he'll be talking, just introducing um, some some concepts and some ideas. But this isn't just this isn't just at home in Connecticut. This is this is part of our our global infrastructure, and this is part of our our global our global health, and it needs to be addressed um, uh, around the world. While you were speaking, I pulled up our top countries for the last thirty days on the podcast, and of course, number one is the U.S. Number two is the U.K., United Kingdom. Three is Canada. Australia, Sweden, Switzerland, Spain, Slovakia, Ireland, and Romania. I mean, you just, and the list goes on and on and on. It's just, you know, South Africa, Brazil, Saudi Arabia. I mean, what are, do they have Lyme in Saudi Arabia? I don't know, but people are listening. Yeah, they do. It is a world, it is a worldwide, Lithuania, Vietnam, Pakistan. New Zealand. I mean, just the list goes on and on. When I first got started, I had no idea that it'd be an international audience like this. But the tick-borne, you know, whether it's Lyme itself or a variation of Lyme or a similar type of bacteria, 
these these diseases are out there and I think they've been invisible for a very long time and we're just starting to wake up and clue in. Yeah. Yeah, now, I would agree. You have the last word in the conference. You're going to clo- you open and close the conference. So I'm going to give the opportunity to close the podcast as well. If the message that I'd like to give out to the world is that the future looks bright and that the world is getting better. Awesome, Savi. Thank you so much. Thank you, McKay. This was a great episode. You know, one of the things that I was really, I got really excited about when she was talking was uh, her story about these young graduate students who are looking into Lyme disease and who are bringing all of their enthusiasm and learning into uh, learning more about Lyme disease and Borrelia and tick-borne illnesses. That point alone can't be emphasized enough because as a, Researcher, you don't want to go into a subject where, A, there's no funding because you can't keep a lab going and you can't build your career, and B, where there's no support for it. So the sea change that's happening that all of a sudden Lyme disease now is a legitimate field of study is just what we needed. Now, you know, it's going to start bringing things online different treatment options, different testing options, hopefully finally a good vaccine that actually works. And just it's time for the start closing the chapter on Lyme disease. And then what will be left to do is to help the people who have chronic Lyme who weren't helped early enough and help them repair their bodies and get healthy. And that's really, I think, what our mission here is at Lyme Ninja Radio. We're hoping for the best that we'll stop the number of cases, do lots of prevention, whether it's vaccines or just being smart about exposure to ticks or early treatment. But then there are a lot of people people out there suffering and a lot of people out there who still don't know they have Lyme disease and they've been sick for a very long time. So that's what this show is really all about. Do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas can leave messages before the beep? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.